0: Welcome back to my watery grave, where we examine the truly horrific and mysterious stories from across the globe at the fine midnight hour. Rain pours down on my ship this evening as I travel down the coast of Mexico. Streaks slide across the windows and fills the air with soft taps. It's peaceful, really, and it provides a good place to gather my thoughts about my most recent encounter with the paranormal. I'm glad to be surrounded by water tonight. There are places in Mexico where you're surrounded by lush green rainforests, but I was not in one of them on my visit to the country. The static desert is certainly a far cry from the ever-changing flow of the ocean, but they share the same qualities like the seemingly lifeless expanse and unflinching cruelty. You can either stand up and fight against it to survive, or let it consume you. I'm rambling, so I'll get into tonight's story. After I left Australia, I didn't know where I wanted to go. I figured it had been long enough since I'd been to Central America, so I crossed the Pacific meandering to my next destination. After many days and nights if nothing else but waves rocking the boat, it was really nice to finally see land. It was about twilight on the 20th night when I reached Cabo San Lucas. It's mainly a resort city focused on bringing wealthy tourists to a tropical paradise. I have some issues with these resort cities, but. It's not really my place to comment. If this is how they decide to use their land, then that's their business. I just hope the employees are treated and paid fairly. I wasn't keen on staying in the city, so it wouldn't really matter anyway. I just needed some change of pace. Being alone at sea has its perks, but weeks alone without seeing another human? or anything, besides the ocean for that matter, it can really screw up your brain. I pulled into the marina and disembarked to rent the slip I was in. After I had taken care of that, I reboarded my ship for some sleep. Awakening early the next morning, I went and rented a car and drove north on Highway 19 up the peninsula it was barren on one side and barren on the other just one was a soft yellow and the other one a light blue it was nice but it wasn't as much of a change as i was hoping for eventually the highway curved away from the coast and traveled farther east i had become completely surrounded by the yellow sand and cacti later in the afternoon I had found a turnoff for another, much less developed road. I took it to see where it went. About ten minutes later, I had come across a small rural town. I would say the name of the town, but to be honest, I don't think I ever found out what it was called. Maybe it's better to be left unknown to the general public. I rolled into town and pulled up to the rundown gas station. I shut off the radio, silencing whatever local station it picked up. I got out and approached the pump. Before I even got to the front of the car, the relatively quiet surroundings erupted into screams and shrieks from an older woman a few dozen meters away. She was in her yard, kneeling in front of something, terrified by whatever she saw. I started to run to help along with the gas station cashier who burst out of the shop after hearing the cry for help. As we arrived near her, we saw what caused such an adverse reaction. It was a pile of dead goat pieces. It was missing one whole leg, and its intestines and internal organs were pulled out of holes through its chest and stomach, some still laying halfway out of the carcass. It was certainly an unexpected sight worthy of disgust. The cashier pulled the woman up in a way, turning her to not see it. A man burst out the front door to see what the commotion was, and instantly after witnessing the mutilated animal, he turned away and swore loudly. He seemed to have seen something like this before, as did the cashier. I asked him what happened and if he was okay, Confused by my appearance, but not worried, he softly said, Chupacabra. I was somewhat surprised by this statement, as I hadn't actually ever heard of a legit sighting. I mean, there was a horribly mutilated goat in front of me, so I guess I didn't really have a reason to doubt it. I asked him what I could do to help, and he asked if we would help get his mother inside. The cashier and I held the lady on each side, and walked her around the carcass into the house. The man directed us to sit her down on the couch, and follow him into the kitchen. We did just that, and after we walked a few feet into the next room, he thanked us for our help. I asked if this had happened before, and the man nodded somberly. He said that this was goat number nine and it's devastating this already impoverished and isolated town. I apologized for the loss and then introduced myself and said I could help. The man seemed hesitant, but the clerk piped up and asked if I could really help. I told them i deal with these kinds of things for a living, and I can't just stand back and watch as this town and its people suffer. The man, still very cautious, asked why I thought I could deal with it. I explained I would greatly appreciate the town's help and its capture and possible destruction, but I would try to lure it out and trick it into a trap. He said they have tried that before and it led to two goats dying and a man being seriously injured. He said it's getting more daring and that they were afraid it would start moving on to the townspeople soon. I asked how big it was, and if there was anything they could tell me about it. The two just glanced at each other, and slowly the man began. He said it started when one of the residents noticed their goats and other animals acting nervous, avoiding a part of their lawn. It was getting late in the night, and the animals would just stare into a black corner and shake. When he got outside to check on the animals, he saw the hideous beast feasting on one of his goat's flesh. He screamed as he saw the hulking monster. It would have been at least seven feet tall if it stood straight up, and was in a partial squat hunched over its prey. It turned to face the town's person, and with its glossy black eyes reflecting back at him like obsidian. It dropped the goat when it realized the person was watching. It had a snout with gnarly bloody teeth and a tongue sticking out, still sucking up some of the goat's intestines. It sprinted off into the night as some of the neighbors had arrived to see why he had screamed. He tried explaining it to some people, but... Only a few believed him. Another person suffered a similar visit, only it wasn't a goat. A woman was home alone with her dog cleaning in the kitchen when she heard her barking. Her dog was usually very calm, but it was certainly uncomfortable with something. She made her way into the bedroom where the dog was barking from, and to her horrific surprise, a large beast was swinging its arms at the dog, with its claws finally catching the front paw. It let out a yelp and bit the chupacabra's shoulder. Sadly, the dog wasn't any match for this monster. It pulled the dog off, ripping some of its own skin with it. It threw it out the window and followed after it. Petrified when seeing what a hideous monster was hiding in her bedroom, the lady just stood there, watching out her window as the beast picked up the bleeding dog and put it in its mouth. The snout was able to puncture through the chest and suck out the blood and organs. Watching her dog suffer such a terrible fate, she fainted. She was woken later as another person had seen the beast and went to intervene, but it was too late. Now with a second attack, and more people agreeing it's a chupacabra, the town was on edge. A day and a half later, two goats from someone else in the middle of town were found in broad daylight, being totally drained of blood and internal organs. This thing obviously had its preferred method of murder, and it certainly wasn't a pleasant one to anything else involved. He explained several other incidents and outcomes, they fear that it might start moving to a human diet soon. They said it had been getting more and more aggressive towards people. It no longer runs from us when it was spotted, he said. I asked them when they think it will attack next, and the clerk confidently said that it would attack tomorrow, especially if it only had one goat today. I told them it doesn't give us a lot of time, and that we should get to work. They still seemed a bit uneasy about me helping, but I told them to gather everyone they could at the gas station, and to bring some formal weapon. The man and cashier looked at each other for a handful of seconds, until the man reluctantly stated that it probably couldn't hurt anything. We all left the kitchen and headed toward their respective goals. I walked back to the gas station to gather supplies, I don't know if it needs anything specific to kill it, but on my journeys, I find that most living things can be stopped with enough force and fire. The store didn't have a lot. Glass bottles and lighters would have to do. I left a handful of bills on the counter and walked outside to the pumps. I emptied the bottles and filled them with gas, ripping rags off of an old shirt I had to stuff in them. By the time the Molotovs were finished, the townspeople were approaching. Most of them were armed with bats and hoes, and a couple had machetes. Honestly, I was impressed by the amount of people that showed up, but I assumed they had just had enough of this beast terrorizing their town. The cashier approached me and told me that he had gathered everyone they could find, and I examined the group a little more closely. It wasn't made up of big burly men. The majority were women, and every single one looked destitute. I don't know how this fight will end up, but I really hope I can make some form of good for these poor people. They don't deserve any more hardship. The cashier interrupted my thoughts, asking what the plan was. I explained that we're gonna hold up in the shop, where we can see out the windows and see it coming. We'll attract it with a couple of goats in the front, and wait. I figured this beast wins by surprising and quickly eviscerating its targets. It's time we flipped this dynamic. He agreed it could work, and went to explain it to the others. I walked with the other man I knew, who introduced himself as Jorge, to go get the bait. The sun was getting low in the sky. And I knew that means we needed to act fast while the others were getting set up. I asked Jorge what he cared about most. He was quiet for a while. I assumed he wasn't going to answer, or he just didn't hear me. But when we got to the goats, he spoke. He didn't look at me when he talked. He just worked to get the bait ready and take back. But he told me about his wife. He told me how he met her while driving through this town years ago. He said he used to work in Cabo San Lucas as a waiter in one of the resorts. He told me he happened into this town one night after work. He said he had a horrible shift and he remembered being treated especially bad that day. He just wanted to get away from the city for a while to clear his thoughts. He had to get back to work early the next morning and was about to turn back and drive down to, as he called it, his prison sentence when his low fuel light came on. He was about 20 miles north of here, and so when he rolled into town, he was basically out of gas. The same gas station we were about to use at the front lines was where he stopped. It was late enough that no one was working, and so he went to go find someone to help. He was very worried he'd get fired even if he was a few minutes late. That was the best bang job he'd ever had, and so he didn't want to lose it. But, as he walked around the small town late that night, he was drawn to a house that had music playing loudly from it. He walked up to the door and saw her for the first time. She was dancing around the living room with her mom, smiling and laughing. He knocked on the door, and when she answered, She was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. Her eyes were so full of love and passion. He trailed off for a few moments, obviously getting lost in thought. Quickly snapping out of it, he continued, speeding past most of the details. But he told me about how they hit it off while talking, and they got to know each other. She was born and raised in this town, and she was tough enough to handle herself. He continued telling me how they stayed up all night together and they watched the sunrise. I asked what he did about his job. He told me from the moment he saw her, he knew that he had already quit his job and was never going back. He told me that night freed him from this prison and it opened him up to life. He told me that relationship and the time he had with her was what he cherished the most. I had no words. I thought about all my adventures, so often dark and mysterious, full of evil and hate. Rarely did they ever feature love. I couldn't keep thinking about this anymore though, as we were walking up to the gas station, two goats in tow. The moon illuminated the desert scape. We tied the goats to the fuel pumps and headed inside. The lights were not on. I assumed the beast is too smart to attack the goats when thirty people were staring at it. It was now time to wait. Maybe it was the right time to contemplate how love could be used to combat the evil. But, as I often find when I start thinking, that's when life throws the curveball. The ear piercing sound of claws on metal filled the store. I was worried that Jorge and the cashier were right, that it was moving on to bigger targets. The sound continued and got louder. The people looked worried, scanning around trying to find the source of the evil. And after two minutes of that horrible noise, it wasn't hidden anymore. It was coming from the far wall, reaching out for a victim, yelling for everyone to get out as quick as possible. Jorge and I rushed through, trying to keep the clawed arm from finding any of this flesh. Jorge grabbed a hoe from someone, and swung down, chopping off two of its fingers. It let out a high-pitched screech, and we left the store to confront the beast head-on. It rounded the building's corner and came face to face with the mob, its black eyes full of fury and ready to attack slowly approaching our group on all fours. It leaped at Jorge, but before it could reach him, a lady with rather impressive timing brought a baseball bat down on its skull. Falling to the ground with a thud, it started to writhe around and swing its arms. It was of no use, though. The group kept their distance from the claws and took turns chopping away at it. Maybe it was the horrible noises of pain that it let out with every machete swing, or just the willingness of these people to brutalize the beast. But it didn't sit well in my stomach. I backed away from my spot, and it was quickly filled by another eager villager trying to release the beast within himself. As I stood watching the madness unfold, Jorge approached me. He asked what was wrong, and I asked him if I caused this. He questioned what I meant by that, and I told him that everywhere I go, violence seems to follow. I knew this monster was evil and was trying to harm them, but did it really help these people, leading them to extreme violence? I said that maybe this is what causes evil around the world he took me by the shoulder and led me away from the group. He told me that we will never know that answer. He explained that these people, their life is suffering. It's painful and hard. Life has never been easy on them, and it wasn't ever going to be. But they can rage against it. They can fight to stand up to make their lives better. He said that he believed that he was meant to come across this town that night so many years ago. He was meant to meet with his wife. And he said that I was meant to come save this town. Whether this was the best way to eliminate the beast or not, he believed I gave these people that push to stand up and save their town. Maybe he was right. I don't know if I was meant to come across this town, or whether it was just blind luck. But either way, these people were safe now, and could continue on with their lives without worrying of being mauled to death. We turned and looked at the group. They were backing away from the monster, but before we could ask why, an explosion of bright yellow illuminated the center of the circle. We walked up, and everyone stared in silence as the broken molotov engulfed the chupacabra in flames. It didn't scream out, it didn't swing its legs, it just laid there lifeless as it burned. The smell was as repulsive as the sight of scaly flesh peeling off its bones. When the light finally died down, we all slowly dispersed. It was time for these people to go back to their lives. Maybe it was time for me to go back to mine also. I headed towards the rental car, but before I could get in, Jorge approached me. He thanked me for my help getting this town back to its peaceful place it once was. I thanked him for the advice and the story earlier. It's good to have love, I told him. He sadly smiled. He nodded and we shook hands. I got in the car and began heading back into the direction from which I came. Driving down the coast without another soul on the road, I contemplated what I cared about. What I love. It's been years since I can last remember being attached to someone. Attached to anything, really, besides my ship and the sea. I wish it was different. I wish I could still be with them, but there are no shooting stars out tonight. Just the repetitive waves softly washing up and down the beach. I must have been really lost in thought as I rolled into Cabo San Lucas much sooner than I expected. I returned to the car and boarded my ship. Maybe I should try to get some rest before departing, but I wasn't tired. I had too much on my mind to sleep. I set off yet again into the black unknown. And that's where I'm at now. Off the coast, surrounded by darkness. Cherish the loved ones you have. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Stay vigilant. There are dark forces among us.